The Pulse of Providence with Steph Machado on WPRI.com. Hello and thanks for watching Pulse of Providence. I'm Steph Machado. In two months, a new Providence City Council will be sworn in for a four-year term. About half of the 15 members will be brand new to the council. Back in September, 10 of the Democrats who won their primary races pledged to elect Rachel Miller as council president in January, along with a slate of other leaders. Miller is wrapping up her first term on the council, representing Federal Hill and the West End, and she joins me in studio. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation, Steph. So my first question for you, is the group group of 10 that you brought together in a caucus back in September to vote for you still together. Oh yeah, I could not be more excited about the coalition that's come together to uh, be the leadership of the next council term, right? So we came together on these principles of integrity and straightforwardness and like overwhelmingly above all else this desire to serve our neighborhoods um, and the city. and. We're actually at 11 now. Um, oh, who's the 11th? Uh, Councilman Goncalves joined us. Gotcha. Um, and that's not to say, right, there's 15 people on council. We are each elected to serve our neighborhoods. I think that collectively as a city, we um, have the most to offer, are the strongest when there's a leadership structure in place that can help everyone do their jobs to the best of their abilities. And the caveat I want to give to our viewers is, of course, um, a handful of the folks who have pledged to vote for you, the Democrats, still have to win their re-election in the general election against some independent um, candidates, but Democrats are widely favored to win the seats, and you only need eight votes to become council president, so you could lose a few and still be um, in a good position. Um, I want to ask you if, you, if you're elected council president, how do you think your leadership might differ from council president Igliosi? You know, I think everyone kind of brings their personality into our leadership roles and their life experiences. Uh, for me, I am coming to this as a long-term organizer. Uh, so I work in communications my day job now, but most of my adult life, I've been doing organizing work for uh, labor and economic issues. What I learned from that and what I keep bringing into these roles is the, the, the reality, like when we can come together, um, we can work out minor differences we have, we can look at hard issues and come to solutions. So I think that's the kind of the spirit of the coalition, that's what I'm bringing to the role. Um, I, you know, I think it's hard to, before anything happens, to sort of say this will be different or that will be different, but overwhelmingly, I think we have this opportunity to like take a fresh look um, at some of the challenging issues that have plagued our city for a long time, right? Um, and recommit ourselves to addressing them. So what's one of your top priorities? Yeah, so I think the people on the council have the same big concerns that people in the city have, right? I think we're talking about affordability, public safety, uh, the quality of our education, the quality of our school buildings, um, and then this piece on city services, right? Like ensuring that they're reliable and accessible and swift. Let's talk about housing, because I know that's a big issue for you. Um, you've supported rent control or rent stabilization um, in the past. Do you anticipate that being something that's introduced in the next term? So affordability is a huge issue uh, across the board right now. And we had last week, it wasn't news news, right? Like we knew it was coming, but we had last week was a bad week for data on this, right? The Housing Work Rhode Island report came out showing that more Rhode Islanders are cost burdened than ever before. Um, and by cost burdens, right? They're, they're, the folks are paying significantly more than 30% of their budget towards housing. Um, we see an increase in house and homelessness and unhoused people. Um, and PRI reported that Providence is on an unhappy list, right? The 14th most expensive city in the country right now. So affordability is a huge issue. Um, I think that council uh, can work together with 
the mayor-elect and the administration to address it from a variety of issues. One of those very well um, is, right, working with, especially working with um, folks who own buildings, like maybe they own their own home in another building in the neighborhood or in the city, they're renting to tenants. I want to have that conversation with landlords and renters about what um, what's possible, right? Like how do we get these super skyrocketing costs under control in a in a way that promotes the best outcome? Is and one that's of, what we're going to be looking at. Is one of those solutions rent control or yeah. rent stabilization? So Which, for our viewers who don't know, it would be limiting um, how much landlords can raise the rent each year. So I think a cap on um, increases annually might absolutely be part of the conversation. I think there's other really important tenants, right? So some of it is about uh, creating more housing. The current council did a great job um, of kind of paving the way so that when we have the, the new council people and the new person in the mayor's office, we've got these programs that are now solidly in place, right? We bonded the housing trust fund that put $4.75 million in play for affordability. Uh, we created a revenue stream for housing. And then we've got these um, some of these ARPA projects coming online that are expanding um, land availability. So I think, again, having this conversation um, around cost is an important one. I think talking about the quality of our housing stock and maintenance is also critical and like a critical piece when we talk about safe and healthy housing and homes um, and then increasing um, the availability of, of housing and just getting more units on the on the market. Um, Mayor-elect Brett Smiley has said he opposes capping uh, rent increases. Have you two talked about that at all? Do you think that's an issue where you might disagree? So um, I did get a chance to meet with the mayor-elect immediately after the primary. I'm very confident that we'll have a good, solid working relationship. We didn't talk specifically about this proposal. And again, I think uh, getting into like the nitty gritty of potential proposals is kind of jumping the gun, right? We're going to have a chance to bring the new council people into the room um, to work with the, the mayor-elect and figure out, you know, I think overwhelmingly um, all of these parties uh, want to do what's best in terms of service to the city. How would you describe your relationship with Brett Smiley? Did you know each other well? I know uh, you endorsed a different candidate for mayor, but did you know each other well? Or, or what, what have your conversations been like? So, you know, we don't know each other well. I think um, Brett has a long uh, service to the city and to the state. So I've certainly known of his, his roles in, in the city and the state. Uh, I was really appreciative of the opportunity to speak with him during the campaign um, and since. And, you know, the coalition is is interesting, the coalition of, of leadership on council. We have folks who have um, supported each of the candidates. I kind of spent all summer saying there's three good choices for mayor. That's not a bad place to be. Um, and I do believe that uh, the mayor-elect and I will have a solid working relationship. It, you mentioned needing more um, units of housing. It seems like everyone agrees, Republican, Democrat, that we need more housing in Rhode Island. Um, but when a project is proposed, you see a lot of this sort of not-in-my-backyard opposition to this or that aspect of the proposal, and it seems like it's very slow to get new housing built. What do you think is uh, the solution here? Is there a specific part of the city that you think is sort of ripe to build more housing because there's, there's certain areas that are very tight, very dense already. There's certain areas that aren't. What are your thoughts there? 
proposed? Yeah, that's a good question. So right now the council is considering um, changes to the zoning ordinance that will increase density and create a lot more opportunities. Um, in my neighborhood, right in the West End and Federal Hill, there has really been more of a yes in my backyard approach. Um, so when uh, right now any kind of increase in density has to go before ordinance because it's a change to the zoning mm -hmm. law. So when that's happened, um, I've definitely worked to outreach to neighbors, you know, renters and homeowners alike, um, and people are overwhelmingly like, yeah, let's 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 bring um, you know new units on board. So I I think that that mentality of um, possibility is real in certain parts of the city, and I do think the changes to the zoning ordinance will help um, create more opportunity, create more density in our city. And do you support that ordinance? I do. What would it do exactly? Uh, it's actually, there's a long list of things, um, but pri mm, primarily um, there's some changes so that a lot of these density increases that we've been seeing on a, a one-off basis um, we'll have a home. So it's creating basically what is an R4. Um, now we get into zoning law. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning four, you can have a, a four family unit? Yeah, I don't know okay. if you've noticed, there's been a lot of proposals that come before council lately that um, have been designated as commercial but residential only, mm. which is a you know kind of one-off and not ideal in terms of a city's comprehensive plan. So in preparation for the, the comprehensive plan update, this zoning um, change is, is great, right? Because it provides um, appropriate dimensions for um, a lot that's gonna be, you know, more than three units, four or more, um, not as commercial. And then that, that property has the same kind of protections that other residential properties have um, related to noise and um, other kind of neighborhood quality of life issues. What is your stance on the proposal to restrict how many college students can live in a single unit? Um, I think that that proposal is a like kind of valiant effort to address some of the problems. I don't think that's the proposal that does, right? So I think some of the problems that I heard at the hearing um, were you know questions around noise and trash. I think that we should, and I cannot um, express how optimistic I am um, that in this next administration, both the council and the mayor-elect will be able to work towards this, right? Like really honing in on how we're enforcing the laws on the books relative to quality of life issues. Um, I think that takes care of that problem. I think that once we get into as a city kind of legislating um, in who and how many people, uh, it gets messier. Um, one project we talk about when we talk about new housing coming online is of course the Superman building. Um, when that project was first announced in the spring, everyone was so excited and touting the fact that 20% of the units were going to be affordable. Um, we did recently learn from the developer how much they anticipate charging for those affordable units, um, ranging from $1,400 to $2,000 for mostly one bedroom apartments for the affordable. Um, those are prices could increase by the time the apartments become available because it's tied to the area median income, which goes up every year. The market rate units range from $2,000 for a studio to $5,000 for a three bedroom. What was your reaction to those rent prices when they came out? The rent prices were uh, high, right? I think everyone can agree and, and look at those prices and say, oh yeah, that is outside of the realm of affordability for most people in the city. Um, I don't think, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think I've ever abstained um, prior to that vote on the Superman TSA. And you know, it was a hard one for me because we are talking about 1,600 jobs 
uh, coming into the city. We talk about affordability. We have got to also be able to talk about high quality employment opportunities. The developer has made a commitment to create those high quality employment opportunities right through this project. That's a huge benefit to the city. And then, you know, to your point, like people were excited about the idea of having people downtown again. Um, a lot of the downtown businesses, businesses across the city have been struggling since COVID. A lot of the downtown businesses aren't seeing that kind of foot traffic come back. So, you know, that's a major benefit for the state. At the same time, uh, last year, I worked with my colleagues to pass um, reforms to the tax stabilization ordinance so the, um, that were not included in the, in the Superman TSA. So uh, two big things around employment, um, both construction and post-construction employment quality. And then the third thing is the piece that allows the city to um, take back the subsidy, essentially, if the developer's not meeting their goals. So I understand that, that a, a lot of this was negotiated at the state level, but those are the pieces for me that had to be there uh, to, to support it. So you mentioned when you abstained from the vote that that was the reason, that because the TSA reform ordinance wasn't part of it. If that wasn't a factor, are you a yes or a no on this project? If it was, if it was fully um, speaking to employment factors, um, if it had... There's a few things. I think the next council will have an opportunity to talk about TSA reform broadly, and I'm excited to continue that conversation. One of those pieces, I think this is one of the first um, TSAs that has come before the city that's talking about deed-restricted housing on site. So the numbers are not at all what um, I think people want to see in terms of affordability. I myself would like to see numbers at closer to like 60% of the area median income and 80% and more of all of that. Um, that said, had we made a commitment to creating quality jobs, that's the other piece of affordability. That's always going to be the other piece, right? Housing costs are rising way faster than um, income. And so I very likely would have voted yes. Um, you, so the so so the high the high rents were not enough to make you a no vote. Correct. Okay. Um, I also want to ask about the mall because um, the Providence Place Mall's owners have come to the council asking for a 20-year TSA on top of you know basically after their 30-year deal ends in 2028, they want 20 more years of tax breaks. There's been talk about maybe they'll turn it into housing or commercial space in the mall. But when I asked the mall's owners, you know, for the specifics, they said they're not ready to share details. They need reassurances on the taxes first. Is that something that you'd support? We need to see a plan for the mall. Uh, 100%, we need to see a plan for the mall, partially because malls across the country are kind of in this crisis point of like, what do we do with this space? Commerce has changed, the way people shop has changed. Uh, I think before any commitment would get made, we'd need to see a plan for how they're going to um, renew the plan for the space. Um, and again, currently the proposal that came to council doesn't include the new framework. Um, there's no path for me supporting anything that doesn't at this point. So you'd be a no on it if it were to come to a vote now, but in the next term, if that gets amended and changed and there's a plan, that could be, you could, is there a world in which you could support 20 years new, of new tax breaks on the mall? Uh, there's a world in which I would consider discussing it more than I am right now, right? So I, I am not committing to a, a future vote on an imaginary plan. But I do think that um, 
a conversation about how we're going to use this community space, right? Like, because it really is. It's in the center of downtown. So how are we going to use it to the benefit of the people of Providence? That's the number one question before anything else. And then, you know, I think that the new council gets to have this conversation about tax stabilizations as a driver of our economic development and, you know, who that serves and how. Um, and what we kind of need to do overall, thinking about city revenue overall, to move away from that um, as, as the primary driver. Is there a conversation to be had about the commercial tax rate in the city? Because this is a, a massive multinational corporation that apparently can't afford its full tax bill and stay operational. So what does that say about all, you know, all the other downtown businesses have to pay their full tax bill? Yeah, that's exactly the point that um, I was sort of half alluding to, right? That, that we need to have a conversation that looks at the commercial tax rate um, other sources of revenue in the city. It's not, it's a, it's not an easy conversation, right? I think it's a messy one. Um, I think that folks largely don't want to touch it. Um, but if we're going to move away from tax stabilizations um, and supporting that to your point, like multi-million dollar corporations, um, there's got to be an answer to that. Um, I want to ask you about policing. Um, you know, when news broke that you were likely to be the next council president, a lot of people said, wasn't she one of the councillors who wanted to defund the police? Um, you did vote in favor of the most recent city budget, which increased funding to p the police, uh, including the hiring of 50 new, 50 new police officers. You voted against the last two budgets. Can you just like clear up for us, where do you stand? Do you think that we should um, continue increasing the police budget, hiring new officers? Do you want to decrease it? Do you want it to stay the same? So policing is um, a part of a larger conversation around public safety. I think we know that. Uh, there's been really good conversations, both from the mayor-elect um, and as part of the election in, a, in a, you know, quite a few cities and towns in Rhode Island right now, um, to move back to the community policing model. I think that's a solid start, right? Because we're talking about um, how do we build uh, responsiveness and trust and accountability between our city um, and the members of the department. Uh, I also think that the city has made some some important strides in um, with Councilwoman LaFortune's leadership and Mayor Lorza's leadership on creating the possibility of a diversion program, right? So we're not sending everything to uh, the police department as kind of a, a drain on resources, right? But that we're able to could divert to mental health resources, to social services, to um, healthcare more broadly. So I'd love to see data on that. I'd love to learn from that as um, the new council. I'd love to also engage in pro programs that we're funding. So we're not gonna be able to police ourselves out of uh, some of the crime problems that the city struggles with. We've gotta look at the big picture and think like, are we resourcing prevention programs to the best of our ability? There's a tremendous amount of talent in our city relative to nonviolence, um, to kind of crime prevention, to youth leadership opportunities, right? We have this totally underutilized gem in the city that is our rec center network, um, you know? And so how are we kind of working with the, the talent and leadership that exists in the city to um, really move forward some prevention programs? So that diversion program you mentioned, which is just starting to be piloted to potentially divert some 911 calls to social service agencies instead of the police. Do you um, see that as a, a long-term, like it would take a long time before the size of the police department would potentially shrink as a result of that diversion? Uh, I don't think that that 
program was necessarily about shrinking the size of the police department. I think it was about um, kind of appropriately resourcing um, our um, resourcing and streamlining um, how stuff is kind of cycling through the system, right? So this conversation about is it, you know, do we always need to send police um, to a call? That's the starting point. And I think the what we've learned from other cities and um, that helped inform our pilot now here is, you know, sometimes it's not appropriate and sometimes it's, um, you know, better to not do that. Um, helps, you know, move people into supportive services more rapidly. Um, so I think that's where we're at. And, and again, I haven't seen any data from that program. I'm really looking It just for, started, right? It just started. I don't know how it's going. I can't wait to hear. Um, I, w I want to touch on education. Um, before we run out of time, you know, Providence doesn't have control of the schools right now, so you're not taking a lot of votes related to education these days. But as if you're council president, would you seek to get control of the schools back, or where do you stand on that? So um, we have a five-year agreement with the state, or rather the state made a five-year commitment to the Providence Public Schools. I think that the um, big opportunity is for the new council to come together and start preparing now, because it's going to be in the next term. Um, how we take back our schools. And so that conversation um, involves talking to parents and teachers, right? It's the same conversation that we've been having, but I think being able to ground it back in, um, you know, council and um, the kind of accountability to council and to the um, mayor's office is going to be important. I want to just ask you about your political philosophy because a lot of our viewers may not have heard much from you in the past. Um, the Democratic Party in Rhode Island has sort of a progressive wing and a more moderate wing that are sometimes at odds. You came up with, you know, in politics um, with progressive advocacy groups. Where do you see yourself sort of on that scale? Um, I know that you voted with the moderate wing of the council. You voted against them in, in various issues. It's funny to think about a 15-person body as kind of having for and against, um, but overwhelmed. So yes, I am driven by core beliefs, of course, right? That's what led me to public service. That's how I think about um, kind of what we're doing in service of a greater public good, absolutely. Overwhelmingly, I am practical and pragmatic when it comes to outcomes, right? So. Um, I think that one of the beautiful things about the way that our coalition has come together is we do represent a diversity of opinion. Um, overall, it's going to be about how we come together, how we see past kind of minor differences towards, towards the big picture, towards the big solution. And I think that my experience um, as, a, as an organizer coming up um, in, the, in the organizations you described, it, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. Councillor Rachel, Rachel Miller, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you so much, Steph. And thank you for watching Pulse of Providence. I'm Steph Machado. We'll see you next time.